Welcome to the Linked Up Church Podcast. We are passionate about connecting people to God, family, purpose, and community. Today, Pastor Patricia Gregory continues her powerful series entitled Remix. This one's going to be awesome. Let's go into the worship center and hear what God has for us today. Our foundation scripture, we're going to pick up on Remix Part 2. And I don't have time to go back and recap everything that happened on last week, so I encourage you, if you missed it, to go back and listen to it. Um, Amen? But our foundation scripture is Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. And it says, "This In this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference, or your ethnicity, your education, or your economic status, they matter nothing. For it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. So he doesn't say to abandon it. It's okay to be proud of your heritage. It's okay to to, uh, advocate for where you come from. But at the end of the day, he says it should not be superior to who Christ is in you. And it cannot be your number one pursuit. Your number one pursuit is the kingdom of God. Amen? So he admonishes us in that. So we left off at, I I gave you the quick notes, you you know, the uh, the cliff notes of what we will be honing in on on this morning, but we're going to pick up with number three. And in number three, humanity, I state here, is nearing the beginning of the end and America is not exempt. America is not exempt. Many of the things that we're witnessing today must happen in preparation for the return of Jesus. Many of the things that you're seeing today, lawlessness, citizens versus the blue, rebellion, the average age of criminals these days is 20. You got them as young as eight. Suicide as young as seven. Running rampant. Selfishness instead of selflessness running rampant. Arguments and debates turning into violence and manipulation based off of something that will be gone tomorrow, an opinion. Matthew chapter 24, turn with me there. Matthew 24 verses 5 through 14, and I'm reading from the English Standard. It says, and you will hear... Well, no, let me start at verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Now, some of us get that mixed up. People coming in Jesus' name saying, I'm Jesus. No. He says, many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ, the anointed one in his anointing. We hear that all the time today. Everyone wants to claim to be God's anointed one. Well, if you're in Christ, you are his anointed one. But specifically saying that they are anointed to rule, to dictate, to educate, and instruct. God confirms his anointing, and it moves as he wills it. You cannot conjure it up. You cannot fast and pray enough to get it up. You cannot. But he says, many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. How many churches do we see nowadays 
that is contrary to the entire book of Romans. Contrary to half of the gospel. Want to strictly eliminate the entire Old Testament. We don't live there, but the Old Testament is the New Testament revealed. Concealed while the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. You've heard me say that before. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. We see that now. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. That's ethnos. That's not just nation as in countries. That's a people. We're seeing that right here. Let's not even take it to the United States of America. Let's just take it to Cobb County. Let's just take it to Paulding County where not too many, a couple of years ago, they arrest a man for hanging a noose and a, 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 stuffed, a stuffed dummy up in his tree. That's just right down the street and that's just within the last five years. People will rise up against people and kingdom against kingdom. Kingdom there is political systems. We see that right now. Let's not even take that to kingdom as you know it. Let's just take that to bring that down a little bit, filter it to where we are today, Democrats versus Republicans. Let's just take that now to libertarians versus independents. Right? And he says, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We don't even have to expound upon that. Turn the news on. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. In other words, this is just the beginning. You ain't seen nothing yet. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Tribulation there is agitation, aggravation, chaos. They will be an aggravate, ag, ag, someone to aggravate you, someone to get you riled up and outside of your Christendom. Set a snare and a trap for you to fall into. And guess what the root word of that is? In the Greek, I looked it up, Aiken, crowd. Crowd. In other words, popular opinion will start to overtake the very elect. Likes on social media, how many followers you got. Being more afraid of the cancel culture than you are of the fear of God. When everybody is going left and you wanna go right, but you sway in the middle because you don't wanna be disliked. And then he says, then they will deliver you up to death, to destruction. Because when you're in Christ, you don't really die. You do realize that. You level up. But he says, they will deliver you up to death. And then he goes on to say, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You'll be hated by all peoples, popular crowds, for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. 
He's talking to the believer. Many will fall away. Many will fall away. Look at your neighbor and say, I ain't falling. And definitely not away. And betray and hate one another. And then he goes on to say, and many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. You know, especially those of you that are online right now, you got to be careful of what word you receive. Everybody want a word, and there are far too many people ready, willing, and, and, and trying to give a word. But if that word doesn't come from the word of God, guess what? You might just receive a curse. So be careful of chasing a word. If it didn't bear witness with you, guess what? You better put it on the shelf. Holy Spirit knows how to speak to you and the prophet or prophetess at the same time. And let me park here for a minute because, see, a lot of times we have dreams and visions. And we could be our own false prophet. The enemy has a voice. And guess what? In many cases, unless your mind is really being renewed to the things above, he knows you better than you know you. And he knows how to infiltrate your thought life and get you to believe a word, a dream, a vision to get you off course. And if you don't commit that thing to God, you will find yourself in never ever land. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, how many endurers do I have? Will be saved, sozoed, reserved, preserved, prospered. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and peoples, and then the end will come. So when you consider the rise and fall of a people, a region, a nation, a kingdom, America is superpower, we're all on the cusp of some choppy waters. So I left off with this, and let me attribute the quote. Alexander Fraser Tytler was a Scottish lawyer, writer, and professor at the University of Edinburgh in the 19th century. And he was quoted in one of his remarkable writings as saying, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves largesse from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates promising the most benefits from the public, public treasury with the result that a democracy always collapses over fiscal, loose fiscal policy. 
and it's always followed by dictatorship. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations has been 200 years. And these nations have progressed through this sequence. This is still, I'm still quoting him. One, bondage to spiritual freedom. Two, spiritual freedom to courage. Three, courage to prosperity or liberty. Four, prosperity to abundance. Five, abundance to selfishness. Six, selfishness to complacency. Seven, complacency to, uh, to apathy. Eight, apathy to dependence. Nine, dependence back to bondage. Now, there's one thing that he failed to mention in this entire writings. Is the existence of a theocracy within a democracy. When you have a kingdom mindset, you are a part of a different civilization. And when you are a part of a different civilization, the matter of the, the issues of your skin color does not matter. Your language does not matter. Your nationality does not, your culture does not matter. Whether you eat black eyed peas or, or lima beans on New Year's Day does not matter. Whether you celebrate uh, Kwanzaa or Christmas, well, or what, well, no, that does matter. But whether you're Cinco de Mayo or Fourth of July, guess what? It doesn't matter. It does not matter or ought not matter to the degree that you are in Christ. So you are on 10 when it comes to Christmas. You are on 10 when it comes to the resurrection. You are on 10 when it comes to the matters of Christ. You are on 10 when it comes to kingdom thinking. You are on 10 when it comes down to love. So there comes a point when you have to err on the side of what's eternal because this flesh, and, this flesh is full of error. This flesh is full of misconceptions, bad motives. I don't care opinions, but always with good intentions, right? We all have good intentions. So too many people minimize taking a stand for what is true in an effort to be right when it's only the truth that God will back up. Miguel de Cervantes Saverdum is quoted as saying, facts are the enemy of truth. Your heritage may be a fact, but when you become born again, you're birthed into something beyond fact, and that is truth. God says in Luke chapter 21, verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is always death. So therefore, superior to what you look like, the color of your skin, your political party, your net worth, your degrees in education, your socioeconomic background, the backbone of society, wherever you are, wherever you are, people online, is your pursuit of Christianity, your pursuit of being Christ-like. So, you know, when we have, you know, the intentional pursuit to be like Jesus, that means that we're fueled by grace, we are activated by faith, and when we demonstrate it by love. 
Intentional and individual growth regarding multiculturalism and racial matters, it is essential for the body of Christ. But it's essential not because I'm black, not because I'm white, not because I'm Asian, not because I'm Latinx, but because I am Christian. And when we get that in our head, then we fall in line with God's calling and his thumbprint on our lives. The reality is there are a whole bunch of cultures and subcultures. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so guess what? I was birthed into the hip-hop culture. Hip, hop, a hippie to the hippie, a hip, hip, a hopper, you don't stop, the rocker to the bang, bang, boogie, said up, jump, the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. Right? I listen to the Sugar Hill Gang till, till this day. I still know all the words of the long version. Because you know the long version about 15 minutes long, right? We've seen pop culture. We've seen nerd and geek culture. Right? There are other cultures. All these cultures that I just named, they don't care about the color of your skin. They don't care about your heritage or your background. They just care that you are putting your money, putting your effort, and putting your energy into advancing and embracing that culture. There's another culture out there that I believe is just anti-Christ. But they have churches. They have followers that's infiltrated, infiltrated God's sacred places. God is love, but he's not sin. So when we talk about acceptance, accept the person, but you don't have to accept the sin. Love the person, but you don't have to love the sin. Right? But guess what? These cultures got organized. They understood, let me get educated and put people into the banking industry. Let me put people into the legal industry, the law industry. Let me put, put people into politics. Let me put people into corporate America. And now, it has become almost law to be totally immersive and inclusive. But God. So when they say that, when we, you know, and, and, and please hear me, we all know and love and are related to people that live contrary lifestyles, that are steeped in a sin culture. But that does not negate you from loving them right on up out of it. You cannot tell me that a culture is more powerful than the love of God, the word of God, and the power of God. Now, let's face it, race relations and multiculturalism can be an uncomfortable conversation for most people. Implicit bias, though many of it is unintentional, can close one off to the realities of unwelcoming behavior. So therefore, it might provoke these conversations to turn hostile, degrading, and full of offensive and defensive exchanges. 
But when you are in Christ, you can love the individual one-on-one, discuss your differences, but only let the differences be revelations of your nece- the necessity to grow. And guess what? It is not other cultures. Let's talk about the black culture. I told you, I, I'm mixed, I'm, I'm a mutt. I'm mulatto. I am full of a little bit of everything, right? I cover about four or five different continents. Thank you, thank you, honey. That's my, that's my sugar right there. And I told you, I grew up in Detroit, about, about 80% black during that time. It's changed a lot now, praise God. I had not re- uh, experienced wor- worse racism, the worst racist and isolating behavior I had ever experienced was among black people. Okay? But I was isolated from all different cultures because no one knew what I was. Right? So oftentimes I find, and, I, and because of that, in my defense, in my trying to prove my blackness because that's where I was, I mean, I could, I could at, at nine years old, I was on the news for having so much knowledge about black history. I was the trophy girl because she doesn't look like she's all the way that, but she can represent. And my busy, biggest advocates were these two women, Janet Johnson, who was at that time my principal in elementary school, and Edith Thomas, who was my second and third grade, first and second grade elementary school teacher. Now I'm in the third, fourth grade by this time. But they were my biggest advocates and supporters, and they were my hideaways because they too were mixed. They were that passable mix, right? That Lena Horne type of mix. You understand what I'm talking about? And they would encourage me, and they would, and I remember one time Miss Thomas told me, you don't have to prove who you are. Just be who you are. And because she, I, I would be so upset if I got something wrong, because I just felt like if I got it wrong, that means I wasn't black enough. Listen, when you are in Christ, he doesn't care about how much you know. He only cares about how much you're willing to be like him. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 in the New King James, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Minister Johnny was praying this earlier this morning. And I was like, get out my notes. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Oftentimes, the church is mocked from the world as being hypocrites because we will openly dog one another, ridicule and criticize one another while living just like everybody else. But Jesus says, this is how all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another understanding will not happen without some level of empathy. We all must acknowledge our biases and ignorance and embrace learning and diversity under the umbrella of God's enduring love. All too often as a black race, as I was about to say earlier, and I want to inject that, as, as black people, we want, because of the plight of the American black person who's a descendant of slavery, we take the position of 
they need to know and understand us. And I'm just going to say it from my observation and my own experience. And I've been there. I've done that. We played the victim. As if somebody owes us some, something. I would love some retribution. I would love it. But the reality is, that's what sin is, and that's what sin does. And if you continue to live in this victim mentality as if other people owe you something, you'll, you'll rest on your laurels and wait for somebody to give you a stimulus check instead of getting up and get what God has for you in the first place. Public assistance is only meant to be an extension till you get to where you need to be. But it's not meant to be a manipulated system so that you can continue to collect food stamps and everything else because you don't want to work. But yet and still, the number one recipient of public assistance is able-bodied black people. And you think the government owe you something. But you're stuck in a system. Especially if you're claiming Christianity. Expecting somebody else to be your provider instead of relying on the provider himself. I'm sorry, I, that guy didn't tell me to sit up here and talk about the plight of the minority. I've been there. I know what government cheese tastes like. I know how hard that butter used to be. I know how stale the bread was the day you picked it up. But my father refused to have a handout. This is how bad it was. We were never on the public assistance program. We received what other people didn't want that got it. That's the bottom. That's the bottom. So in other words, our neighbors got the cheese, our neighbors got the butter, our neighbors got the bread, our neighbors got the stale salami and spam. And they didn't want it, so they would give it to us and we would receive it. So that's the bottom of the bottom. Because my father refused to have a handout. And he brought me up to know and understand because you don't look like the majority that has you have to pay a black tax that's what he called it some of y'all had never heard that term but he said get ready and get used to it I'm a little bitty girl you have to pay the black tax what's the black tax for some of, some of y'all like what's that is that a separate tax You got to do twice as much to get the equal. But listen, it's no longer limited to the minority. Look in your most recent Forbes statistics of earnings. The Asian man in America is making and outpacing the white man. So don't get it twisted. What do you believe and how far are you willing to go to get it? Who do you believe in and how far are you willing to trust him to receive it? 
See, we don't realize who Jesus was in the earth. We haven't sat down and said, who were you, man of God, son of God, son of the most high God, God here in the flesh, who were you? See, we don't think about that. When we sit down and do our study, we don't really look at the human. When he says that he suffered all that we would have suffered, we don't look at the human. We looked at the supernatural redeemer. But the reality is, he was born in Jerusalem, raised in Nazarene, called a Galilean, but said Jerusalem, um, raised in, no, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazarene, called to Galilee, and declared Jerusalem as God's chosen city. He wasn't honorable to his set. He didn't rep a region. He was a temple nerd at the age of 12. He wasn't out there kicking and ball and playing with the kids. He was a temple nerd, so much so that that's where he ran a state at and hid with. Number three, he was too young to walk in his calling at the age of 29. He suffered ageism. Number four, he was the youngest among proven rabbi. He was despised because of his youth. They wouldn't take him seriously because of his youth. Because see, some people say to this day, See, you weren't qualified to be a rabbi until you were 30, which is why when he was in, at the wedding and they ran out of wine and, and his mother said, you got to do something, they ran out of wine. He said, woman, my time is not yet. And see, this, I had to study and dive into this because you would think Mary, the mother of Jesus, but also acknowledge him as Lord, would be like, oh, okay, yes. You're. No, she said, whatever, do what he tells you to do. Because mind you, as a mother, she recognized the person, not the calling. So she was more caught up in do who, be who you are, and we'll deal with the calling when that time comes. Ain't nobody asking you to preach. And nevertheless, Jesus did, didn't he? So he's the, he was despised because of his youth. Number five, he was an outcast because of his superior faith. He was peculiar and strange from the offset. You just got to know that when you claim Jesus and you for real, for real about it, when you decide to love your enemies instead of talking about them, you're going to be strange and peculiar. They're going to think something's wrong with you. And the one thing that they want to ascribe to you now that really digs deep is, oh, you soft and weak. But see, no, you're just humble and obedient. <laughs> he was, I'm just going to skip through because I got about 12 of them here. He was hunted, hunted because of his real and potential influence. He was the original menace to society. He was ridiculed for hobnobbing with the socially elite, though they were immoral. He was considered a hypocrite. Check this out. I'll put this one down here. He was well-dressed. So he was professionally misrepresenting. See, when you are a priest or a rabbi, you had to walk with a robe and an ephod, and there were certain ways that you dressed in your priestly garment, and he was there like the common folk. He was professionally misrepresenting. And then race, 
Revelation is constantly referred to him as being of dark skin and hair wool, which, according to archaeologists, he was a Palestinian Jew. Now, the world will have you believe the war is between Palestine and the Jews. Mishi, who was our Israeli tour guide, was a Palestinian Jew. He says, it's not like what you think it is. It's more about the Muslims against the Jews. <laughs> but they don't want you to think that it's that. They want you to think that it's geographical, as in heritage. So, call to action. Saints, here's our call to action. This is what you must do. Because this does not start from the top down. I don't care who you put in the presidency. You can keep electing Obama every year if you want to. It's not going to manifest the change that is necessary. Unless the theocracy within the democracy rises up, and I believe that's the only reason why America has been here for 400 plus years, is because there is a remnant that refuse, even in their ignorance, to neglect and abandon the pursuit of truth. So number one, your call to action is to pray. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, 13 through 18 in the message says, in the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. True change begins and ends with prayer because prayer turns our focus on God, not ourselves and not everybody else. And what we focus on will become dominant. So as long as you're focusing on God, God becomes dominant. It's easier to obey him. Therefore, you release his power in your life. I don't like it when I see people that says it's too hard. Hard is the way of the transgressor. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's just that we don't want to let go of ourselves in the process. Number two, probe your own heart. Psalms 139, 23 through 24, and the message says, investigate my life. I love the way the message puts it down. I mean, it's the ghetto hood version. I love it. Investigate my life, oh God. Find out, find out everything about me. Cross-examine me and test me. Get a clear, clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Number three, repent. 1 John 1, 9, in the voice interpretation, it says, but if we own up to our sins, God shows that he is faithful and just by forgiving us of our sins and purifying us from the pollution of all the bad things we have done. It's plain to me that, that it would say pollution because what you don't realize is your erroneous thinking, your kingdom mindset being secondary or an afterthought or a Sunday only thing is pollution. In other words, it rises up and impacts others. You, I've said this so many times, you don't get to choose who's watching you. You are an example to somebody. I just pray that you're an example unto righteousness and not unto the contrary. Number four, be present. Presence. Be present. When it comes to present-day issues surrounding injustice, race, lawlessness, the lack of the presence of the church has been discouraging to people of color, of culture, of communities all over, while the absence of their voice has been deafening. Silence is violence. 
And guess what? It's, when it says the church, not the, not, not, not the building, not just the pastor, not just the first lady or the ministerial staff, the church is the ecclesia. The ones who claim Jesus, the called out ones, you have a responsibility wherever it is and whatever it is, and regardless of the color of your skin or your heritage, to speak up for righteousness. It takes a black person to defend a white person. It takes a white person to defend a black person. It takes a Hispanic person to defend an Asian and an Asian to defend a Hispanic person. Therein is unity. Therein is Christendom. Five, practice. Spiritual growth is not automatic. If you go through the entire new, uh, the epistles, Paul, Jude, Peter, John, James, are all talking to the church and all admonishing them to grow in love in all of its various ways. Jesus reminds us of the parable of the seed and the ground, and it's not unusual that the inertia of everyday living will slow us down and choke us out and dry us up from pursuing and living in Christ-like behavior. James chapter 1, verse 22 and 24 in a message translation says, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. We want God to come through in prayer, but we can't come through for God in being a witness. And you know, I love you, and I've been, I've been placed at this time just to encourage you in the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. The sometimes the truth is glaring. But if the shoe fits, wear it, tie it up tight, lace it up all the way to the top notch. Number six, partner with good and with others. Partner with good and in, uh, with others. Paul tells us to overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21 in the passage says, never let evil defeat you, but to defeat evil with what? Good. Tit for tat, railing for railing, back and forth. You will never win if you are a kingdom citizen. You just dig your grave deeper and deeper. You cannot play the devil's games by the devil's rules and claim Jesus. Partnership is a pathway to relationship. Relationship is a pathway to trust. Trust will open the door to receptivity, vulnerability, understanding, compassion, and commitment that's necessary to begin steps towards everlasting growth and change. And finally, number seven, y'all ready? This is the last point. Number seven, shine. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, and the message says, you can bring it up, bring the lights up now. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. 
We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm not put, I'm, I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father of ours in heaven. See, some of you had your lights on. See, in the midst of darkness, I don't care how little your light may be, it vanquishes darkness. I don't care how little you think you may know, you got more than the enemy himself. Your little bit of light, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This look. Oh, you don't want me to go there? All my, all y'all might get raptured up. I don't care what little you think you know. I don't care what if you just know John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only. That that's all you knew. That is enough to deal with, to vanquish, to open up the doors to God and vanquish and deal with darkness, sin, death, despair, depression, the ills of this world, violence. If that's all you know and you're pursuing it every single day and you're praying and you're examining your heart every single day, it will still deal with darkness. Because the reality is the days are getting darker. And as the days get darker, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is saying, just shine, light it up. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. I want to read this quote to you, written by Scott Rideout. He's the president of Converge. And he wrote, if culture is unhealthy, unaware, or unwilling to see iniquity, it taints the system. In such cases, it often takes crisis and often tragedy to bring the attention of all to the need for change. Christians, informed by God's word, led by his spirit and sensitively engaged in their communities can be a great force in leading to God-honoring systemic change. God-honoring systemic change. If we just honor God, we eradicate racism. We eradicate biases. We eradicate difference and division. Christians should filter the strengths and weaknesses of their communities and culture through the lens of scripture through the lens of scripture. As citizens, we have rights, but as Christians, we have responsibilities to intervene on behalf of others. Our voice and our vote are both stewardships in a democratic society with freedom of speech. And I would add this, and as long as a democratic society is fused and founded upon a theocratic society, we can sustain. We can sustain. We can be that city on the hill. We can glorify God. But it doesn't start at the top, filtering down to the bottom. It starts with each individual. 
and it should have nothing on COVID. I mean, COVID has nothing on that. If we're willing to spread love to one, then another, then another, then another, we invoke the power of God. Not on us just individually, but on us as a collective. So don't abandon whatever cause that you're in, as long as it's through this lens of scripture and in the effort to honor God. Amen? Amen. Let's end with prayer. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that your message has been made clear. Holy Spirit, you took my words and you delivered it on the hearts of many. And I know that many received it in many different ways. But I pray that as we respond to our call to action, that you will resurrect within each and every one of us at a greater and higher level to be people pursuant of your kingdom, advancing it intentionally by being Christ-like ourselves. And Father, as a result, we know that you are glorified. We know that you are honored. And we know that we make you and your love contagious amongst many. May we be the light bearers of this good news in the authority of that name, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. I trust that this message has touched your heart today. Listen, we don't claim to have all the answers, but we do know one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't have a personal relationship with him today, we want to invite you to do so. Or maybe you had one with him, but you've just gotten away, and you're desiring to come back to Christ today. I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you would, repeat this after me. Put your hand over your heart and say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died, rose from the grave, and He is alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. As a result of what I've confessed with my mouth and what I believe in my heart, I am right now born again and in right standing with God. In Jesus' name. Praise God, we are so excited for you. We believe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Congratulations, we are so excited that you made the decision to get connected to God. Thank you for listening today. If this message encouraged or inspired you in any way, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit linkedupchurch.com or download the Linked Up Church app. You can also watch live services, watch past messages, and see our dynamic content for children, youth, and teens on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Linked Up Church. And if you would like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at linkedupchurch.com or text Get Connected to 833 833- 988-2009. Thanks again for listening. Have an amazing week and we look forward to connecting with you.